This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, we have a new patron, Thomas Crimes, joined us at the 1350 level. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you for supporting Thank the podcast. You, Thomas. Greatly Very appreciate cool. it. Helps us pay our, pay our bills and all those sorts of things. Speaking of our Patreon community, Jay, they picked this episode when we put up a poll for a roundtable, Festivals of the 90s. We said, what festival would you like us to check out? There were a number mentioned, but the overwhelming majority said, please talk about Lilith Fair. And so then we said, cool, who's going to join us? And they all stopped talking. None of our (laughs) patrons had gone, which is odd because... it was so resounding. Like, like yeah, I mean, this was down. Like, I don't even think there was a close second. So, nope. never really pushed away from the table. I think one of our Australian listeners said the Big Day Out Festival in Australia, and we were like, no, <laughs> we're not doing that one because we're not, we're, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. I got a couple American festivals to cover, so we have a roundtable to help us discuss the. Lilith Fair Festival that occurred from 1997 to 1998 with the revival in 2010. And all of our guests are returning guests. This is a rarity where we have everybody coming back who's been here before. So I'm going to start. uh, Let's go um, alphabetical. (laughs) Are we supposed to figure that out? Yes, you have to figure out. (laughs) No, I'm going to start with uh, welcome back, Kay Hanley. From Letters to Cleo and various other things. You were on our Boston in the 90s episode back in 2016. One of our very first sure was. Dig in Your Scene episodes. That was a lot of fun. We found out that you and and the Sheila Divine practiced in the same place. That was an odd coincidence. We did. What do you got going on right now? And um, Well, I, most of my work life is pretty adaptable to quarantine so i'm i've been able to stay pretty busy and employed so that's good and um you know working on the songwriter advocacy side with songwriters of north america um you know there's tons of stuff going on in advocacy land so trying to make sure that songwriters get paid not just in the digital landscape but also you know in this new world where you know songwriters all of, you know, sessions are getting canceled and, you know, just making sure that people are staying engaged and hopefully paid and helping songwriters find resources to help them bridge the gap. Excellent. Is there a it's website busy. for that? Um, there actually is. There's um, just for the music community in general, there's musiccovidrelief.com. And that um, is sort of a centralized resource for, finding all sorts of like government and pri- you know government aid and um and private grants. And then if you go to um if you go to our website which is wearesona.com um we will actually be launching a grant program. We were given <clears throat> money by John Platt and Sony ATV. We were given a big financial gift to start a songwriter relief fund so that's what we'll be doing in the next week or so excellent that's great um i already screwed up because i don't know how alphabetical works so also joining (laughs) us i wonder okay welcome back It's it's backwards alphabetical. Backwards alphabetical. Everyone knows that. Autobiographical. It's it's yes. It's comforting. Uh, Jill Kniff from Luscious Jackson. Welcome back, Jill. Thank you. First time since 2012. 
Yes. What an innocent time that was, 2012. So sweet, so kind. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What have you been up to since we last spoke in the last eight years? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'll I'll say my my most recent, we made a Luscious Jackson record in there, which was fun. Yes. Um, In, like, 2013, and we played some shows and had a really good time. So that kind of went on for a few years. And then I started doing artwork, like visual artwork um, during that time. And I had my first art show in uh, 2018 with a little concert. And that was in New York at a gallery space. So that's like basically what I'm focusing on. And I was planning to do a new event this year, but now it's going to have to be pushed. So I don't think I'll be doing my, my event this year, you know, unfortunately. Mm. So I've been doing a lot of artwork and um, working towards that. It's been really cool. A lot of fans come out to the show and it's been really nice to reconnect with people and, and, you know, see people. Excellent. The old, the old crew and play we put some Lush Jackson songs. It's like a small kind of acoustic set. And uh, yeah, so that was, that's, that was my last sort of public project. Um, do you have a website that people can go to to check out? I do. Excellent. It, yes, com. Okay. We'll, we'll make I'm sure to going right your, away. We're going to have to update yeah. your, uh, your personal page <laughs> on... Uh, I, I don't know if everybody knows this, but every guest has a personal page on digmeoutpodcast.com. With, ah, and cool. We, and we can put links on there to whatever you're currently up to and that sort of thing. I'll uh, send you the stuff. The Instagram is Studio also. Excellent. Yeah. Also joining us, another return guest from such episodes as New Order in the 90s Roundtable and Electrica, Elect- Electrica, Electronica in the 90s. <laughs> Electrica, what is that? I um, made up a new genre. Yes. Trademarked <laughs> I 2020. Like it. Uh, Matt Shiverducker, welcome back to the podcast. Matt. Hi, guys. How you doing? Good. Um, what do I need to say? You were the the legendary WXY and the legendary WFAL, where, where we all cut our teeth <laughs> in, in radio. I, one one of those uh, sets of call letters a little more legendary than the other, but yeah. but both very important and key in my life. And I, I recently shared, and this is why I I thought of you for this podcast. Um, one of my most vivid memories is one of our WFAL parties, which we had this massive sound system that we shoved into a tiny apartment. It was like massive speakers and stuff like that. And you were playing like the European 12 inch remix of Sarah McLaughlin's possession and just like booming this, (laughs) this tiny little apartment with, with this 12 inch remix. And, um, sadly that checks out. I don't know where that 12 inch remix is anymore like i don't i can't find that song for that particular I, remix so i guarantee you they're all in um in the containers of cds underneath my bed <laughs> okay <laughs> and then lastly joining us the voice alphabetically alpha well let me think about it nope <laughs> not even <laughs> no nope. i did it i did it wrong um the, <laughs> i'm willing to accept my mistake this is going great this is going perfect <laughs> Uh, the voice of the podcast, our announcer, who introduce, introduces us in every show, our, our history of the band Jingle Singer. History of the band. Who has joined us for previous episodes on Tori Amos, Chibo Mato, Concerts of the 90s. Katie Minichi, welcome, wife. Hi, husband. <laughs> I'm sure your listeners want to hear a lot about uh, distance learning for K through five music teachers, because that, that's yeah. what I spend my time on. Yep. I've been uh, spending a lot of time working on Google Slides, embedding videos. Uh, recently made a classroom out of stuffed animals so that I had more than one person, quote unquote, to sing to. For my kindergartners. <laughs> Amazing. This is where I'm at. Yep. Love the creativity. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So we're talking about Lilith Fair. As I mentioned, it took place from 1997 to 1999. It was the brainchild 
of a frustrated Sarah McLachlan who was out on tour with Paula Cole, according to Wikipedia, and um, <laughs> during one of the or one or a couple of the shows, they referred to it as Lilith Fair. Um, for those who don't know, Lilith from the Jewish lore is is the first woman who refused to be subservient to Adam. So that is where the term comes from. And then the concert or the or the full festival started in in 1997. Uh, there were three stages. You had your main stage, your second stage, and then your village stage, and that continued on for the three years in the 90s. And then the third stage tended to be local searches for talent in terms of they weren't people were necessarily on every um, stop. So let me ask, uh, Kay, I'll ask you first. When you So uh, let me confirm this. It, according to the Wikipedia... Letters to Cleo mm-hmm. played in 1998, and then you played in 1999. Is that correct? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that, that, make, that does make sense, okay. actually. I can confirm that, that Cleo did three shows in 1998. Okay. And then 1999, it, it makes a lot of sense that that I would have played a solo show in 99. And that was that most likely like the show that would have been in Boston or in that area or was that for Yeah, but I still feel I still feel like it was Cleo. So I I, I don't really know, but we did for Cleo did Boston, Fort Lauderdale maybe and maybe someplace in Pennsylvania. I don't remember the places as much as I remember like the people and what it was like because touring just got so by that time I was just like I never knew where the f I was I I think that that is actually it It was kind of like this it was like what is time what is exactly what is the place what is (laughs) there was like no time space continuum distortion so being on tour much like today in a festival is like a global pandemic okay Got it. Um, <laughs> in terms of what it does to you psychologically, a little bit, yeah. Mm. And then you mentioned that for '99, with uh, Michael played with uh, Nina Gordon from what from Veruca Salt yeah, when from she Salt. when she released her. And I actually have more like vivid memories of that because we had just had a baby, and Michael was out with with Nina, and I brought little tiny baby Zoe around following Nina around to different side stages and it was like very dreamy and very like I've never felt more like feminine and you know in in strong and connected it was it was pretty lovely is is that because for the Cleo things I was just mostly like on cocaine and Marlboro Life (laughs) a little bit there (laughs) okay those are two different those are two different things okay <laughs> yeah, it was like it's it's amazing the difference a year and a half made. Can I say that's the most '90s thing I've ever heard, though? <laughs> I love it. Okay, so Jill, I show on the Wikipedia that Luscious Jackson played the main stage '98 '99. Is that correct? Yes, I believe so. Okay. Yes. Were you on for like a large? number of dates or was it for select dates do you recall i i was just looking at it myself because i don't remember that well but it looked like we did a west <laughs> right. kind of like west lower west kind of thing you know of america and uh ending in maybe california somewhere so i, I don't think there was that many dates okay i will say that the main thing i would say about little affair is good vibes that's festival mm-hmm was so positive and you can't explain it unless you've been on other festivals. So had we done Lollapalooza with, you know, the year the Beastie Boys were headlining and Smashing Pumpkins that were like taking turns headlining. So that was like 94. We did a bunch of festivals and those festivals were really fun. You know, I, you know, we got a huge exposure. Um, but when you set foot on Lilith Fair, the first thing you get in your dressing room is a basket from Lush, which is that bath bomb oh yeah they yeah remember that yeah you walk in and you're getting a basket Mm -hmm. signed by sarah mclaughlin with a note from Mm -hmm. lush 
which is, you know, bath products and like stuff like that. So that's the difference. Whereas, you know, at, at Lollapalooza was very, you know, kind it's just a different vibe. Let's just say that. Oh, Jill, I was just going to ask you if, if you remember, did she come and like, did Sarah herself like come to your dressing room and welcome oh, you yes. and all of oh, that? Oh, yes. Do you remember she that? Was, like how yep. amazing was that? How amazing was that? And like, and she would drive around in a golf like, cart with a hat on and come and met, come yes. around and welcome you. Yes. yes. And That's she, so she cool. was an extraordinary hostess. She, she was an amazing, uh, warm, kind person. And that just like that infiltrated the festival. So in the press, you know, there was people would, they would chuckle at it kind of, I think, and uh, put it down this festival. And there's all these, all these women and, you know, folky white women. And, you know, she would try to, it, it was hard because that was where they placed this festival. And initially we were going, do we fit on this festival um, musically? And then, you know, we saw Missy Elliott where it was on there. We saw them opening up the field and putting rock bands on. Um, and so we thought, all right, let's, let's go for this. Um, and it ended up being just such a highlight of our, of our career. And the people we met were phenomenal. The, this, the, I'm not going to say the, this, the feeling you got being there was so good. You know, I can't even describe it. And, and the nightly concert where at the end of everything, she'd do this sing along with everybody would come up and sing a piece of something from, I guess there was a song we were singing, Katie. I don't know if you remember this. And I do remember that. I don't sing remember one the song, line though. of the song. I don't remember the song either, but there was one line <laughs> that everybody would grab. And it, it was just really great. And, and not, you can't describe it. You know, um, when I look back at all those years of touring, it sticks out as a, a truly great experience, you know, and a, a career highlight in terms of the atmosphere backstage. And I would probably mm-hmm. guess most people who were on that would say the same thing. There was you were hanging out, people were friendly, there was tons of, of socializing, meeting people, you know. Um, yeah, it was just fantastic. Came around after dark, you were on nothing but a love. Though I snuck it like an arc, I knew I had to leave my mark. Wanted to be satisfied, I tried to be dignified. Wearing nothing is divine, naked is a state of mind. That is a wildly different uh, experience than what we were told about Warped Tour, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, I would <laughs> shocking. Happened, you don't say. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way. There were competitions to see how long they could go without bathing. Uh-huh. So That was not the lush the lush basket. Maybe that's why she had it there. Right, exactly. To stop <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing from happening. Yeah. She was like, please bathe. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I want to get the perspective of that sounds amazing. And I want to get the perspective of the people who were going. So, uh, Shiv, can you give us, you know, your experience? Do you remember what year you went? Well, I definitely went all three years because the first year would have been that summer before my senior year of college. And then in 98 and 99, I was already working at WOXY. So I was, I was work, I know that I went and worked the events and it's possible I was working as an intern at the station for the summer of 97 already. Um, But I went every year. I mean, I was, I was young and gay and all of my favorite artists were female singers um i mean that's pretty much still the same today but at that time especially it was like all of my favorite artists in one stop um and i could definitely say that it really began to open up my mind a little bit about music that i was really closed off to um just in the sense that you know i very specifically remember Luscious Jackson singing with Emmylou Harris 
because uh, I, I saw the shows in, in Cincinnati. Uh, that was yep, Riverbend yep. Music Center, Cincinnati, every time. Yep. And I I was such a Luscious Jackson fan and did, I mean, I've obviously I knew who Emmylou Harris was and my mom listened to Emmylou Harris, but it wasn't something that I, you know, embraced at that point in time. And that was like the beginning of me being able to discover and uh, really just start to appreciate, you know, an artist like Emmy Lou, or then certainly that the final year that it was the first time I ever listened to the Dixie Chicks because uh, they played the Cincinnati stop in 99. And I know that the only real reason I watched them was because they were playing right before someone else that I, you know, I wanted to make sure we were back in our seats. Um, and then I, you know, ended up watching the Dixie Chicks and I mean, it, it really actually turned me into a fan and I had not, you know, been open to that really before that time. Cool. Uh, Katie, what about you? Were there artists that you discovered while you were walking around between the stages at either 98 or 99? Yeah, well, I should say first, I was an absolute child. (laughs) I was like, I was a junior in high school in 98 and I actually... I'm almost positive I was there in 98, but I'm confusing things, of course, again, because I was a child. Like, I know that in around 98, I saw Luscious Jackson with Chibomato, but I don't think Luscious Jackson was at the Cleveland Lilith Fair. So, you, oh, okay. I had it, so like, I had, it I had seen you. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think it was for Lilith Fair. Um, but, and then I went again in 99. Matt, do you remember? Well, I was just going to say, because um, a quick Google, um, the, the hey, LuscisJackson.net <laughs> website does show that Cincinnati and Cleveland in 98 were Lilith Fair dates. Okay, then maybe Good. I saw you Thank twice you. that year. That's cool. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely did. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I would agree that if my memory now is more of a vibe, like – Going to Blossom in general is is just kind of like a cool experience as a young person. It was one of my first experiences with advocacy because I was from kind of like a middle-sized town. And so walking down that little road before you get to the big lawn at Blossom, like all the different little stands and people selling things or giving out pamphlets about women's issues that that like came at a really important time in my life where I saw that like other people were advocates and cared about issues and were thoughtful and intelligent and that stuck with me for a long time so I that almost hit me more than the music especially because it was so overwhelming there was just music everywhere it was definitely just like a feeling that everyone was there to just like have a good time and take in intelligent thought, I guess <laughs> there were some cool things happening. Uh, the other thing that I remember so clearly as a fan, because they did have the three stages, most of those outdoor amphitheaters were not created to do events like that very well. Yeah, and so that third stage would just be um, a small tent, like in a in a parking lot sometimes, depending on where you were. And I, yeah. I do recall seeing uh, Beth Orton. Like she was, you know, supporting that first record trailer park and she uh. played that smallest stage and I could basically stand, you know, almost close enough. To, you know, I could have reached out and shook her hand. Like it was, there, there was an intimacy to that. If you were into any of those artists that were on the smaller stage, it, you really got a special um, live experience, and then and I remember waiting in line for her to sign a poster. Oh, that's <laughs> and it so was cool. Just, people were just very approachable, and it was. I mean, as a young music fan, like it, it was a really exciting uh, experience. Yeah, I think the the artist I got closest to and became a fan of for a long time was Chantel Kraviazuk because it was. Uh, I went, of course, because of the movie. She was she was on the soundtrack. She sang Leaving on a Jet Plane. Which one was it? There's like a drill. I, I remember. In a, yeah, I in, remember. Like they, Bruce Willis has to drill the crater. Arm- Armageddon. Yeah. Didn't she sing Leaving on a Jet Plane <laughs> for that? Sure. Um, so, so like I sort of knew her name and it was unusual enough that I remembered it. And then I went and it was like a huge highlight. And I know that I was worth it. Cause if I wasn't worth it, that makes me worse. Hey! 
song that Sarah McLaughlin ended her sets with was Chocolate. But I'm, Oh, yeah. Like, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's the song you sang on. No, Ice Cream, Ice Cream. Yes. Your love better than ice cream. Yes. 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 yes, yes, that's the song. As soon oh as you God. said that, like, like a memory, just like, yes. Yep. You completely blew the doors off my memory with that just now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I didn't even know it's I knew that until you said now. it. It's a long way down, right? It's, it's group memory. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was really cool. That was pretty powerful to so, see everybody on stage. Let me ask um, uh, Kay and Jill, do you have, when you're playing at a festival like that, do you have time to wander around and check out artists and if so is there anybody that you discovered or were blown away by on like a third stage or a second stage that maybe you didn't or or even somebody on the main stage that you would like had not checked out before and you thought wow i really need to be paying attention to them jill i'll start with you. so many yeah so many things i think we were with letters to clear i think so and i remember that you guys were really good and i think i think second stage who did we see? Chantal was second stage. I remember her. Um, she had a great voice and she was a cool person. And then the main stage, Bonnie Raitt became a friend through that, which was really cool. Dixie Chicks, I didn't hang with them, but their show was great. Uh, Indigo Girls became friends from that. Um, and we they came and played. or We had some type of collaboration at some point. I think they played one of our songs live. And maybe Kate was playing with them. You know, there was some later on collaboration. Cheryl Crow we became friends with, whose show was mm. phenomenal. And we watched every night her show. You know, there was that kind of thing where you finally see people who you've heard their song on the radio, you know about them. But just to see them every night, like being such a such good live artist, was, it was phenomenal. Just sit and be able to watch the whole event every night was great. You know, that's really one of the things I... I remember the most was seeing that much great music every night. Kay, what about you? Any strong memories and, from people you saw? Yeah, I mean, to kind of like when when Jill said earlier about like, you know, the hang and that like it, it was just so different from all the other tours that we had done. And this, this, I would echo that sentiment completely. You know, we had been on the road for, you know, nonstop for, you know, 10 years at that point. And to get to Lilith and have it just be so welcoming and so open and like even security was just so chill. Like there was just none of that dick swinging. I mean, literally no dick swinging at, but also figuratively (laughs) it just felt, it felt really just like, you know, like whatever, dude, like we're chill. And the backstage thing with, you know, it didn't matter. There was this sense that like, it didn't matter that if you were the headliner or if you were on, the tiny, you know, third village stage that there was just kind of like this equality that, you know, that, that Sarah fostered by making sure that everyone was acknowledged, like everyone's contributions were acknowledged. And so you just felt that walking around all the time. And one of my most vivid memories of like actual performances in Go Girls and honestly, like, I don't think I've ever seen such punk rock set in my life. Like, they were just, I mean, they just took my skull off. <laughs> like, they were just so rock and roll and, um, and amazing. And I, you know, I always liked them and enjoyed their songs. And, you know, I've been known to cry listening to their version of Galileo. But, like, I never <laughs> had any sense that they were that good. Um, they really are. And another memory, so good. I remember we were playing Wiffle, or the the our tour buses were parked out back, and um, you know everybody's just kind of like doing their thing. This is another Chantal story. She will love that we're talking about her so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were playing Wiffle Ball in the parking lot, and I guess Stacy, like our drummer, like hit. Chantal's bus with the wiffle ball and she came out and she was like yelling at us and and we were like yeah and we you know we know Chantal so we you know we were just like whatever <laughs> and and then for the rest of the day they made sure that they aimed straight for her bus and, um, <laughs> That's awesome. and that was like, <laughs> 
that was like, but that was like the only like pranking that I witnessed <laughs> or any like sort of like brattiness that I witnessed. But even then it was like in good fun. And I don't know. I just, it was, I have a lot of like very fond memories of those times. I have, I have a funny story that I'll just throw in here. Go ahead. Um, we were, had Cheryl Crow come on stage to play with us and she loves, she loves like living on the edge musically for, so she tries to not, I, I, I got the sense she likes that, that excitement. So we're, she's, she's playing with us and I wish I could remember the song. I don't. And then she's just about to start. What was it? She was starting something, some instrumental part. And our DJ runs like a harmonica sound in the background and it completely threw her off. <laughs> and she was like, oh. ah. Another thing was um, we met Maya, who is a is an artist, an R and B artist, and she was really, really yes, young. Yes, I loved her. She's I awesome. know, and her show was phenomenal. And she she would do a tap dance in the like she'd pull out this this wood and put it down, some type of wood panels. Oh I yeah, she can them dance. To a tap dance in the middle of the show, um, and she was like so young that she had sort of bodyguards around her in her dressing room. And we managed to make friends with her and she would come hang out with us in our dressing room in the, you know, before the show, we were like a safety, we were like safety zone. It was really cool. We were like the rock and roll aunties. Yeah. We were like aunties. And we also hung out with Bijou Phillips, (laughs) who was like almost the same age. So she would go and try to get Maya to come out and hang out with us because it was like, she could get really isolated in there with her bodyguards. So were you at the show where, were you at the show where uh, Missy Elliott was like a couple of hours late and had to be helicoptered in? Oh my God, that? I don't remember that. <laughs> that is <That's> baller. <laughs> and like, and, and Cheryl Crow ended up going on like early and taking like a, you know, just everybody just made room for it. No one complained. Everybody thought it was like really amazing that, and it is kind of amazing. It was amazing then. It's still amazing now that, like, Missy Elliott was late and had to be choppered in for her set. Yeah, it was like. <laughs> and, and from what I understand, that was the first time Missy Elliott ever performed live was at Lilith Fair. Really? Yeah. Oh. She's never been a big, big fan of live performing. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah, apparently the first time she sense. played. That makes sense, yeah. The first time she played, she came out and was did like 15 minutes and walked off and people were like what 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 just happened like it was not what anybody was expecting musically and she said afterwards she's like you know just because i'm here to perform doesn't mean i'm going to perform what you want me to perform essentially like this is my time to to do this that's very rock and roll very rock and it is very rock and roll yeah it really is Here are some memories of Lilith Fair with Tracy Bonham. When I was playing uh, Lilith Fair on the main stage, I got to uh, meet one of my all-time heroes, which was Bonnie Raitt. And she and I actually um, had met because we shared a producer. Um, Mitchell Froom was a producer of uh, one of her, I think her big album, the comeback album, I mean. And Mitchell Froom um, produced my album, my second album called Down Here. And so when we met again backstage, um, I got to hang out with her a little bit. And just to hear her sardonic, crass sense of humor was so refreshing, especially in that environment where, you know, there was a lot of PC action going on with, you know, just uh, a lot of, um, I'm going to say, conversations that people steered away from. Maybe it's because of the little fair mass consciousness, I don't know. But Bonnie Wright didn't care, and, and she uh, came up to me at the catering table, and I was sitting next to um, Suzanne Vega, 
And Suzanne Vega was married to Mitchell Froome, the producer, at one point. So Bonnie Raitt sits down next to me and, and Suzanne, she says, oh, look, it's Mitch's bitches. <laughs> and then um, and then later, uh, I was in my dressing room uh, getting ready for my set, and Bonnie pops into my dressing room. She sits down on my couch. She's wearing, um, she's got a wrist uh, brace on her on her hand. I'm assuming it's her, I don't know, hand. Um, and she's eating some raisins, and she just plops herself down on my couch. She's like, hey, you want to come play fiddle with me? And my heart jumped, and, I, you know, basically got caught in my throat, and, and I had to say yes, absolutely yes, and, and what are we going to play? And she's like, Angel from Montgomery, the key of E-flat, okay, bye. And um, at that time, I wasn't uh, aware of the song, um, and I didn't know what that meant. I, so I thought, okay, I'm going to practice my E-flat scales now because it's probably some fast, you know, fiddle tune that I'm going to have to, you know, shred on. So I was practicing backstage. Oh, God, for, for the whole time uh, before the time when she asked me to come out on stage. Went out on stage finally. She introduced me and, and they just started in on the song. So there was no rehearsal. I had no idea what song, what it sounded like even, what the tempo was or anything. And all of a sudden, my shoulders released because it was a nice ballad. And it was a ballad that had prob- I had heard before. And I realized, oh my God, this is the most beautiful song. And I know I know this song. So I just started in playing. And it was one of the most freeing feelings because, you know, I was all tense about like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I have to impress her. And this is going to be really hard and scary. And then all of a sudden, it was like, ah, music. And uh, it ended up being a really wonderful performance of that song. And um, and then since then, Bonnie and I had kept in touch. And with her sense of humor, we'll always, uh, I'll always laugh at some of the things that, that she said to me over, the, over those times. So I'm curious, uh, Jill, you mentioned about playing Lollapalooza, and I, obviously there's a, a big difference between early 90s and, and late 90s in terms of these festivals because Lollapalooza was sort of a mishmash of all different sounds and, and performers, and it was this big carnival that Perry Farrell envisioned. And then by the end of the 90s, it seemed like everything got divided up. You had your your skate punk festival, you had your... Uh, your Ozfest with your your metal bands. Um, you had your Horde tour with like your jam <laughs> bands and and you know blues travelers and and those kind of bands were doing that. And then you have Lilith Fair. And I'm curious if and this is for pretty much everybody was that a good thing that that happened? I know that this was a good thing in terms of obviously it was very successful monetarily, exposed a lot of artists, people like both. Katie and, and Matt have mentioned about seeing artists they maybe would never have seen and, and being exposed to things. But in terms of segregating the music in that way, in terms of how that, you know, kept these fan bases apart, do you guys feel like that ended up being a positive or a negative? I, well, I think that definitely wasn't the way it started, right? This, the, the genesis was to, um, to expand fan bases by bringing different you know, by bringing specifically for Lilifair, bringing women together and trying to expand fan bases. So that was definitely not the intent when it started. Yeah. It's kind of, it's a, it's very American, isn't it? To, you know, it's kind of like the power of strong branding before that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you can sell a package. Whereas in Europe, you know, the tours are just, and even like Coachella or something like that, it's more of like a free form thing. I think, in the 90s, you know, we did tend to ghettoize musical genres. I mean, oh, radio sure. was like that. It kind of just reflected what was going on in radio and in the culture anyway. You know, so, I mean, it wasn't a good thing, no. But was it a thing that is that, that happens? I mean, it's, yeah. And it made people a lot of money doing sure. it that way. Well, it was interesting to read that, financially speaking, Lilith Fair was was probably the most successful of those late late nineties festivals oh. in terms. I mean, they were sold out every yeah. single spot they went to, 
Yeah. And and in terms of the size and length of the festivals, the number of artists and also the length of the tours increased every year to the point where Sarah McLaughlin was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. It's so overwhelming because it would take up her entire year and she couldn't she couldn't record any new music and she wanted to put on another record. And I would imagine, you know, if you're an artist trying to manage that versus a. A, a business person in the way that like Kevin Lyman runs or ran warp tour, that would be a much bigger responsibility, especially when you guys mentioned she had her hand in that so deeply with regards to like, you know, putting together gift baskets for artists and, and uh, having such a personal touch. Whereas, you know, a corporate entity is not going to do that today. Other than they're going to have some like, interns, grab some things from, you know, <laughs> Bed Bath and Beyond and, <laughs> Put them around <laughs> in rooms. My name is John Cornish. I am from Independence, Missouri, and uh, the memory that I have of Lilith Fair was from the one time I was able to go, which was in uh, 1999. I had uh, recently graduated college and had moved here to the Kansas City area, and it was coming to town and, and, and being a fan of most of the uh, the headliners in the uh, tour, I decided that I would go. And during uh, one of the, the breaks in between sessions, it was still early in the day, uh, a rainstorm came through. And, uh, you know, being uh, in, in the Kansas City area, they can blow up and, and disappear quite quickly. So we, uh, we took shelter. But then uh, right as it was clearing out, the second stage uh, filled up with the band. And I had, uh, they announced the name and I just kind of offhandedly went, I have no idea who that is. But we were, we were pretty close so that we could hear it clearly. And uh, it turns out the band was Kane's Choice, a, a Belgian rock band. And uh, it's headed up by a brother and sister named uh, Sam and Gert uh, Betten is their last name. And uh, the minute that they hit the first chord of the first song they played, which I believe is a song they have called Believe, everybody shot up. And it, it, it was like people, all their ears turned, their heads turned, and everybody went, holy crap, what was that? And by the end of that song... Just about everybody who was who was around had gathered around the second stage and were just awestruck at how great this sound was. And uh, it was still cloudy, it was still drizzling. And uh, as they moved into their second and third songs, it, this, this sounds like something hokey from a movie, but the clouds parted, this beautiful sunset started in, and it was aimed directly at the stage. It could not have been more accurately presented so it was like everything became calm with the universe this amazing band started playing and the sun shone on them and it was so great that sam the lead singer actually after one of them went oh my god people you've got to turn around and look at this you're you're missing the most amazing sunset how did we get blessed with this and uh it just they they only played a shorter uh short set just because they were on the second stage but it was one of the most memorable concert experiences i'd ever had I'm curious if you have any perspective or or thoughts on the revival that took place in 2010 because the timing of it seemed weird when I looked back and then also it seemed like it was not successfully successfully executed both financially and then they had to cancel a, a number of dates Are, do you, either of you Jill or Kay um have any you know knowledge of or read anything about that with regards to what happened with those with that particular year? I mean, I saw them launching it and I thought, I don't know if this is going to work in this day and age just because I, I just didn't know if the concept would fly, you know? And then it seemed like people, it had a huge backlash 
and people were in social media land were just furious about it or just didn't like it. But beyond that, I don't know much more than it, it didn't work. Okay. What, I, don't, I don't even remember. What was... The, I, I didn't <laughs> sorry, remember what that. Was the, what was... So it what was, was the deal with that? So apparently... So they, they did it in... They launched it in 20... Or they announced it in 20, 2009. And it was... Um, mm-hmm. One of the other folks, Terry McBride with Network was one of the people that, that launched it. And it was supposed to have, like, Carly Simon, Nora Jones, Kelly Clarkson, the Go-Go's, Queen Latifah, along with Emmylou Harris and some of the original folks. And they all dropped out. And they oh, were originally supposed to do... That's bad. Yeah. 13 shows were canceled. Um, and they had very poor ticket sales. And, in fact, one of the folks who have been on the show... Uh, many times, Annie Zaleski said that she attended like the St. Louis show, and the venue was only half full for that Whoa. particular show. That's crazy. Was, and, was Sarah still involved? She was, right? Yeah, she performed. She I don't was, know if she was involved in a managerial sense in the same way that she was in the, okay. the 90s. Um, and they, I uh-huh. mean, if you look at the artists who actually did play, there's a lot of Janelle Monet, Gossip, Hart, Erica Badu, Show Crow played again, Suzanne Vega. Uh-huh. And then the second stage has some interesting, some interesting folks. Um, but it seemed like, and I was looking at it, thinking in terms of the timeline, that's only a year or and a year and a half after the big financial crisis. Mm, and it's right. pretty like, and, and you, you have the, you know, the auto bailout and stuff like that. I mean, Obama, that's a year and a half into Obama's presidency. There was a lot going on at that time. And I don't know that traveling festivals were really the thing anymore. I don't know when the destination festivals really took over, where you have like, you know, Riot Fest and Lollapalooza in Chicago, and you have Coachella and Bonnaroo and these places that they're not traveling festivals anymore. You you plan a weekend and you go. But it seemed like this was sort of the transition. If period. I remember correctly, it was expensive too. I don't remember the original Lilith Fair being hugely expensive. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's entirely possible. But yeah, they lost That's a lot. A strong of, lineup, though. It is a strong. It was a strong lineup. Yeah. Although, I mean, all the cancellations probably didn't help. Um, when you look at who who didn't perform, um, but it seemed like maybe it would, like you mentioned, it was just it wasn't the time for it anymore, and that was just not something that uh, people were interested in in going to, as far as a traveling festival like that. Well, traveling festivals in general. It's- sort of past, right? I mean, the, yeah. the original Lilith Fair did, they were doing like 40 shows a year and over a hundred acts. That's, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. So to try to do that again, where everybody's more into a destination kind of concept where it's like two days and you travel to it. Right. Um, that, that part of, you know, might've just been telling. Um, and then people just, that's, re- that's a really interesting point though. Cause like at the time it made so much sense to just like take the show on the road and like you would just never do that i mean you would literally not not do that now but <laughs> um, but right. but it just seems so it seems so like such a quaint relic of the past to like take this mm-hmm. huge tour and move it around the country you know it's incredibly expensive logistically it's 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 very ambitious I would and, imagine, but it used to be the way we did stuff all the time. Right. Well, they're mimicking, a, you know, a band tour, obviously, and and that is a fi- like financially speaking, just in terms of thinking about like insurance costs, where you have to insure this these performers for X number of dates and have all these different. I mean, you have traveling issues, and like you mentioned about Missy Elliott having to be helicoptered in. <laughs> Uh, because she was late. Like, if you have a travel... Uh, I think her label paid for that. <laughs> right. I think. I mean, I think I'll just add that that time in the music business was so much more cash flowing around from labels mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to signed artists. That and makes so And the way sense, things were yeah. done was all padded by record company funds. And nobody really recouped their record deals, you know. And so no one cared to bother budgeting with anything anymore in other words like hey i'm never going to make money on this side of this again so i'll let them just pad this experience you know (laughs) so then you get tour support and you're able to take these buses around 
And it's like, it's not like you're sitting there with your calculator going, oh my God, we can't afford this bus because our show payment is this and we have to get here. You know, a bus is incredibly <laughs> expensive, right? So like everyone just gave up. They're like, all right, we're doing it. You know, they're paying, we're doing it. So, so basically that's how the record industry ran then. And then, it, you know, at some point post, you know, streaming, when streaming hit and all the funds dried up and the record business went in the toilet, everyone was like, we can't do this anymore. You know, mm-hmm. they, they had to look at things very differently and they had to come up with things that actually made sense by the budget. You know, yeah. I think I'm assuming a lot of what happened there. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a fascinating time. So I started working at <laughs> a radio station <laughs> in 1998. You know, it was like the tail end of all of that insanity. Yeah. yeah, and how many promo albums do you have from there that were just like flying around from record, you know, thousands of promo <laughs> CDs and and thing and flats and stickers and all that stuff. wallpaper oh, your house. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were, you know, I mean, Tim's very familiar with the station that I used to work at. I mean, when, when it was a FM commercial alt radio station, um, we were nothing compared to, uh, you know, a K Rock LA or something. But if we if we playlisted a song off of an album, you know, the label would ship over sixty copies of the CD right away. You know, right. you, you would get boxes for giveaways and contesting and everything. There was so much money spent on that type of stuff at events. Like, let's have a, a an industry cocktail party at the blah, blah, blah restaurant. And we're going to print out napkins with the band's name on it. And we're going to give out I mean, no globes with blah, blah, blah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, crazy, crazy. Not to out myself. As, not to out myself as an insane person, but Jill, I am right now, even as we speak, looking at a jar of luscious <gasps> Jackson electric honey. Yes. <laughs> what? Oh, Yep. You I, had us I, at jar. <laughs> yep, I remember that. That's, That's amazing. That's the kind of stuff I mean, would do. That is amazing. It was like cabal money. The labels were like, <laughs> it was like syndicate money. Like totally just like, <laughs> yep, like, yep. Like the, the inmates running the asylum in the music yep. industry in the 90s. It was so yep. beautiful. We could have like a whole other podcast about that Ooh. it was just like, like it that. was bananagrams oh that'll be but our I next round table jackson sweet honey yeah electric honey yeah shiver are you ever gonna open that uh no it's never been opened it's i'm really really thankful that it's never started to leak it is a glass it's a glass jar which is really beautiful yeah. um oh my and God. It's, it's i mean i'm sure it was just a you know, some type of actual honey brand that they just put a promotional stick. I mean, yep, it, yep. I, I posted the picture on Twitter um, at Chevy. Um, it's a really cute little, little uh, tchotchke. But I mean, this, the station was literally filled with that stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, they would, they would send out so much stuff. Um, and it was, it, I, I used to ask people like, how does this all work? And people would start to tell me how it works. And I won't go into it. Like you said, it's another podcast, but yeah. How do you get the song on the radio? Like, uh, yes, guess you can guess how you get it on the radio. You know, mm-hmm. tchotchkes mm-hmm. and more. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> We've read about so that. I, we were so dumb. We were just like we were just going offer to like take the PAs out from the radio station out to go shoot pool. That was like our secret. We were That's like, not a bad one. I like that one. <laughs> it was. It actually paid dividends later because later all of those TAs were like running the that's right. You know, running the magazines and the publishers <laughs> and the so yeah. It was like you know, in my forties when I was like a mom looking for a job, it was like people took my phone calls. So I was playing long ball, really. You really were. <laughs> <laughs> there were some people. There were some people in who were rock band, you know, members. But they knew every program director by name. They had a deep relationship right? with those. And it wasn't me. I didn't understand that. But that's because I thought my managing company would do that. My management or my label knew all those people. But there were individuals who were so businesslike in their dealings. And I, afterward, I thought, wow, did they get like an MBA yeah. on the side? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they were just like there were like people who were like ambitious, like music they were was a so career. Ambitious, yes. You know, and I, I, yeah, I never understood that. I was just like, I kind of fell ass backwards into it. So I was like, I'm here. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't know here. how to like play the game. <laughs> right. No, just like, was, thanks for having me. Exactly. <laughs> when are they going to kick I, me out? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we got a little <laughs> off topic there. Like it's a, a, whole, a, a whole other podcast. But we will. You're welcome, we'll Tim. We are welcome, Tim. We're gonna. We are definitely gonna do another podcast on that. I mean, I'm here for it. And you're here for that. You have no connection to anything to do with. What are you talking about? Where else am I gonna go? I can't leave the house. That's true. You can't. I'm literally here for it. Um, we sh- we're getting close to the top of the hour. So what I would love to do is get just sort of final thoughts on the on either your you know. Your the impact of Lilith or Lilith, the impact of <laughs> Lilith Fair on on you as an individual or what or what you feel like it was on the culture or just just some sort of wrap up that would uh, put a nice bow on this episode. Um, Jill, I'll start with you. What what is what does Lilith Fair mean to you? Um, I think there were a few points in my music career which was, you know, of a, as a touring and recording musician that stick out and thought, I thought, wow, I am like, I can say I'm enjoy. I currently thought I was enjoying it. I didn't, I fully felt I was doing something really fun, really rewarding. You know, that was one of them. And all those nights watching the other bands and hanging out and the, and the, I just, I guess I felt like, wow, I've done something here, you know, like I've, I, I wouldn't say made it, but it was like, wow, I'm in a really cool situation, you know, and I, and I really appreciated it. And then looking back, it, it sticks out like crazy as like a, an absolute highlight. Excellent. Okay. What's the lasting impression of yeah. Lilith Fair for you? Um, well, I'll still never get over like the, just how mind blowing it was after all those years on the road to, you know, I always had this sense that like, you didn't have to be a jerk to be successful. And like, I could never find that part of me that could be that jerky person. And to have all, everything I already kind of believed about how you should be mirrored by Sarah and how she was doing her thing, um, you know, it was like, it was a real learning experience for me. Um, and it also gave me confidence to, to you know, believe in my gut to, that just to be a cool person in this whole crazy world. But the other thing that I learned and I didn't know that I was learning it was that women, when women are in charge, women get shit done. And I have learned that over and over and over again in Uh my career since then. And, um, and I think that's really the, (laughs) that's, that's everything right there is that when women are in charge, we get shit done. I'm going to stitch that on a pillow. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I agree. And by the way, by the way, that is not, and that's not like some treacly, like raw, raw shit. I mean, it is the truth. It is the truth. You know, it's, yeah. Shiv. It happened to me. It happened to me with my Spectrum employee the other day, my cable employee. I just want to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) She got this, she got the problem solved. No one else can solve it. Always. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. That's very unusual for Spectrum. Yeah, I was going to say, no, Spectrum doesn't I, have I the best No, but I could tell uh, the minute she got on the phone, the minute she got on the phone, I was like, she's going to solve it. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. I love it. <laughs> Shiv, a lasting memory from Lilith Fair. Well, like I said, I mean, at, at that time in my life, I would have gone to see Sarah McLachlan play like any any night at any time. Um, and so to be able to go to those shows where I not only was watching her, but also like, you know, 10 other artists that I dearly loved, um, you know, was was a really, really remarkable time. And I, I think that really and truly having that weird radio perspective of in my history it's like that was the last moment before the entire commercial alternative format 
completely and utterly went to shit. Um, you know, yeah. th that, that was a moment in time where, quote unquote, alternative stations were still, they were playing Natalie Merchant. They were playing Sarah McLaughlin, um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it shifted so far to butt rock after this it did. All happened it did. that yep. it destroyed everything. And I was so lucky to be at an independent radio station that continued to support music that we loved and didn't follow the format down the like Metallica road. But that's where pretty much everyone went except for a handful of us in that world. Um, and, you know, to this day that in the entire format is just a clusterfuck and has this was the last gasp of actual good music at alternative radio. Here, here. We got nookied. <laughs> we got what? We got nookied. You did. Oh, yeah, oh, totally. <laughs> unfortunately true. Yeah. Speaking of Paola, um, <laughs> Katie, any, any lasting uh, memories that you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, I mean. Or thoughts? As a kid going to see that, my, you know, I was, <laughs> I was a theater kid and then I went to college and was classically trained. Like music to me always had like a competitive piece to it, which I didn't like. And so, um, I still don't like, and I think Lilith Fair was one of my first experience where I saw really good musicians that didn't project an ego about that and there was just a lot of collaborating like it was even just the two small experiences I had just being in Cleveland going to see it there were you know it was one of the first times I saw like someone from another band step in and just join another act you know like that was really cool for me to see as a young person and musician so that sticks with me cool yeah Thank you. Thanks to everyone who joined us. Shiv, thank you for joining at the last second and sharing your uh, your memories. If there's anything I could just jump on to talk about with a five-minute warning, it's something like going to Lilith Fair. Like, that's <laughs> great. I can do that. Okay. <laughs> nice. Kay, Jill, thank you so much to both of you for coming back to the podcast. Nice to meet you, ladies. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it was it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. As I mentioned at the beginning, there are guest pages. So everyone should go to the guests page and click the links on those pages to find out what they are up to currently. And you can also join us at Patreon, like our newest patron, Thomas Crimes, who uh, is supporting the podcast via a tier that gets him voting rights in our polls <laughs> and t-shirts and cool things and then also if you like what you heard go to apple podcasts and leave us some positive feedback jay i forgot to ask what are your lasting memories of lilith fair <laughs> oh that's right i i, I like, will leave with the 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 quote i read from bonnie Raitt, which i was kind of blown away by it's she said it was the highlight of all of my 50 years of playing so wow. She's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's a pretty big deal. <laughs> I was like, wow. yeah, hey, I, I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Bonnie Raitt. I went to the place. Oh, wow. That's cool. We, we all got together. Right, yep. We all got together. And she always asked me for, is this a makeup and hair day? Because she doesn't like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And I guess she must have done makeup and hair because how can you do that? Go there and not get your photo taken. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. She was, she prefers to just be like in a baseball cap chilling, you know, mm -hmm. but it has to be done sometimes. <laughs> That's an awesome quote. <laughs> cool. Thanks for that, Jay. <laughs> yep. All right. For Jam, Tim, we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com